If you'll turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 16 and verse 3, very familiar verse of Scripture for me that I've used countless times in my life and also advised others to use this verse of Scripture. I want to speak to you this morning from Proverbs 16 and 3, and let's take what I call the Bible Commitment Challenge, the Bible Commitment Challenge, because that's what verse 3 is all about. Let's read Proverbs 16 and 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. There are many challenges in the Word of God that you can take as a born-again child of God. I'll just mention a few of those. One is to have the desires of your heart. Psalm 37 and 4 says, He shall give thee the desires of thine heart if you take that challenge. If you're wanting something to happen in your life, in Psalm 37 and 5, he says that he shall bring it to pass. There's a challenge there to take. It doesn't mean, well, just whatever I want. You understand? And then there's Proverbs 3 and 6. He says, he shall direct thy paths. So if you're wondering about what direction to take, what path to take, what decision to make, These are challenges in the Word of God that are guaranteed to give you the answer that you're looking for. You say, well, it might not be exactly the answer you expected. But the one we want to look at this morning is the Bible commitment challenge in Proverbs 16 and 3. The word commitment in the New Testament, where we find it, it means to place alongside or to, to deposit as a trust for protection. The Old Testament word here for commit is a little different. We're going to talk about that. It's a very unique Hebrew word. But I want you to think about commitment. You might be married and you think about the commitment that you have in in marriage. You might think about your workplace or friendships or whatever. But whatever is in your mind this morning, what desire, what decision to make, what direction to go, I want you to try to think about that. I wish this would happen. I want this job. I want this raise. I want this girlfriend. I want this boyfriend. I want my marriage to be better. I want you to think about that. Get that fixated in your mind. And then I'll give you the answer right here. You will find the answer to that question. You will achieve that desire as long as it's a godly desire. If you commit yourself to the Lord, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts shall be established. If you're confused about what decision to make, your thoughts shall be established. By the way, if you're using this verse, the inverse is true, okay? My thoughts are not established because my works are not committed to the Lord. You see the inverse of that? So if you want your thoughts to be established, then commit your works to the Lord. Maybe you've heard of a young lady who's 20 years old now named Greta Thunberg. I wouldn't have what she believes and puts forth in her life and her commitment. I wouldn't have it in a sack because it's so off base. But at age 15, this young woman began to become known worldwide in the uh, global warming movement, in the environmental movement at age 15. And I don't agree with any of the precepts or premises and the science is completely off but you have to admire that young woman she is known worldwide and she is committed to her cause you understand that i have a respect for that just the fact that she is that committed at that young age it kind of makes me feel (laughs) sort of embarrassed i think am i committed to my cause (laughs) 
Are you committed to your cause like that? <laughs> Several years ago, y'all know Brother Todd Wheat. He was a guard at Guantanamo Bay back in the years after 9-11 when the terrorists killed so many of our American brothers and sisters up there in New York and other places. But Todd was a, a guard at Guantanamo Bay during those years where they would hold suspected and confirmed terrorists in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, at the military base. They had a prison there. And he said it was amazing, and I don't, he didn't mean that in a complimentary way, but it was just astonishing of how those Muslim men, every time it was, they were required to worship and pray towards Mecca, you know, they would have a prison revolt on their hands if they were not allowed their time to turn their faces towards Mecca and offer their prayers to a false god. And Todd, he related to me, he said, you know, he said, I don't agree with anything that they say or do or any of the beliefs that they have. He said, but you have to respect their zeal, <laughs> their commitment to what they think is what they need to be doing. So when you look at stuff like that, you can say, well, where is my commitment? <laughs> you know, I need to be more committed. And we all do. So I hope as we take this Bible commitment challenge here this morning, that we can see what it means to be committed. You don't have to be worldwide known like the young lady that I mentioned. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that we ought to examine our commitment. And I've got the answer for whatever question you have. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Think up whatever it is that you're dealing with and you're struggling with. The answer is in your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's consider the word commit right there. He says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. This is a very unique word and I've studied on it and meditated on it for years and I hadn't preached on it before because I didn't know that I really had a full handle on exactly what it meant. But by the grace of God, I want to share these thoughts with you about it. I think I've got a pretty good understanding of what it means. So the translators, when they put the word commit there, if they had left it in the Hebrew to read exactly, and I'm not saying they should have, but if they had just left it in the Hebrew, it probably would have confused us more because it would have read like this, roll thy works upon or unto the Lord. That's what the Hebrew says, roll thy works upon or unto the Lord. And that doesn't give me a, a real good understanding in the English about what they're talking about. Of course, if you go and you study this word, you'll find some very interesting things about it. This word commit, where it, it literally means to roll thy works upon the Lord. It's, it's the Hebrew word galal, galal or galal. And we find this word over in Psalm 22 and 8. And this is where a thousand years before the time of Christ, the Lord inspired David to write about what the wicked men, the Pharisees, would say when Jesus was on the cross. He, he did not cause them to say that, you understand, but the Lord in His omnipotence knew what they would say. And in Psalm 22 and 8, that's one of the things that they say. The wicked men at the cross, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they said, He trusted in the Lord that He would deliver him. Let Him deliver him, seeing He delighted in Him. The word trust right there is commit. And they are literally saying, He rolled His cares upon the Lord. 
He said he believed and trusted in the Lord, so let the Lord deliver him. See, they're being smart aleck to the Lord. And Jesus, he did that, didn't he? In Luke, the 23rd chapter, he said, before he gave up the ghost, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I commend my spirit. It's the same word for commit. So not only did they scoff at him and say, let him commit himself to the Lord that he'll deliver him, Jesus verbalized that on the cross. He said that. Now, it's interesting in Psalm 22 and 8. You know, it's a song, right? It's a hymn. It's a psalm. It's to be sung. They sang it. And in the word, roll over to Yahweh, roll over to the Lord, where they said, trust in the Lord, it's a synonym with the word delight. So whenever they sang it, you know, the people that were singing it in Hebrew, they'd under, they would understand that trust was a synonym with delight. And it's interesting that the word delight the basic root of that word from Psalm 22 and 8, it means it gives you the picture of a dog wagging his tail. Y'all ever seen a dog wag his tail? Look, we were at a tennis match on Thursday in a very bad area of town. I was a little unnerved, and I was doing some stuff at the truck while the girls were playing tennis, and I happened to turn around, and two feet from my leg was a pit bull with no collar on, and he was not wagging his tail. I'd like, I almost jumped out of my skin, a pit bull. And I gave him some food to get rid of him and you know, got out. It wasn't a threatening moment or anything, but it scared me when I turned around. That dog was not wagging his tail. Now, I had a little dog when I was growing up, little Dan. He was a combination, a name from where the red fern grows. Y'all remember old Dan and little Dan? Well, I got little Dan out of that, and that was my little feist dog, and there wasn't as many people living on McCool Road back in those days, so I didn't have a whole lot of friends out there. Brother Chris was usually always inside reading. So uh, I would have to go out and, and play on the farm, and I'd take little Dan with me. And little Dan, he, he loved me so much, he would just wag himself in two with his tail. You know, he just, it's like he's just bending himself and breaking his vertebra, wagging in two. So when I, when I read this about the picture of a dog wagging his tail, I thought of little Dan. And it also made me think about what I shared with you recently in the New Testament where the basic root word of worship is the picture of a dog licking his master's hand. That's about all, you know, that dog can't, that you feed and that you take care of and that you pet and you scratch him behind the ears. He can't scratch you behind the ears and he can't feed you and he can't give you water, but he can lick your hand. You know, some of you may say, well, that's gross. Well, it kind of is gross, but... But that's all he can do. And I think the image is well taken that as dogs before the Lord, all we can do is just lick the master's hand and maybe wag a little bit when we think about what God has done for us. That's the picture that's given. It's synonym. So it literally means that Jesus was rolling over to Jehovah, to Yahweh, rolling over his burdens to him in delight, wagging in delight. You see that? That gives us a picture of what it means to commit our works to the Lord. You say, okay, well, I'll do it. I mean, if that's what God says to do, I, I'll just do it. <laughs> that's not the attitude. We ought to delight in rolling our burdens and our works over to the Lord. I, I can't figure out what to do. I've gone this way and I've hit my head against the dead end. I've bloodied my head against the dead end. So what do I do? Commit your works to the Lord and delight and your thoughts shall be established. You want to know where to go, what to do, how to act, 
who to marry, who to associate with, where to go to school, fill in the blank. The Lord says, if you'll commit and delight your works to me. Now, I, listen, I've even seen this where somebody, where people have committed their delights, uh, committed their works even begrudgingly. Okay, well, I'll try that out and see if it works. God's got an answer for that too. You think about the giving challenge over in the book of Malachi, where the Lord says, just try me. Just bring the tithe into the storehouse and I'll show you. You know that even if you do it begrudgingly sometimes God is so good that he'll do it just to show you that he'll do it you see but don't do it begrudgingly do it because you delight in the Lord you say well too bad the Lord just wasn't doing anything there on the cross he was doing something on the cross the the wicked men were saying he trusted in God, so let him deliver him who he delighted in. And Jesus says, and this is in Psalm 31 and 5, what he says in the Gospels. It says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He in delight, even though it was difficult, even though he was on the cross, he delighted in the Lord because of the joy that was set before him. You see? So well, I can't get that joy right now. Well, just keep committing your works to the Lord and delighting in the Lord and your joy will come. If the Lord Jesus Christ's joy came after he was resurrected, after he gave up the ghost, if it came, I can assure you in that worst moment of all the time in history where your sins were laid upon him and the world was against him, if that can come out in joy, I assure you that your little problems can come out in joy. And I'm not trying to be smart aleck and diminish your little problems. Because they're big problems. Your problems are big problems, and mine are too. But we can reach joy if we commit our works to the Lord. 1 Peter 2 and 23 said of Jesus, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. We go on and read in the book of 1 Peter where he says, now you commit yourself because you have the example of Jesus laid before you. And if in the most intense and worst moment of the life of the Son of God, when he was on the cross paying for our sins and the whole world was against him, if in that worst moment he could commit himself to him that judgeth righteously, then so can you and I. You see? Don't, don't think about it. Well, okay, I'll try this. Listen, Jesus practiced this, you see. How, much, how many times did he talk about his father? My father this, my father that. The will I came to do of my father again and again. He practiced committing himself to the Lord. And he's the son of God. So, listen, God can bless even if we just kind of one time do it. He can certainly bless. I've seen that happen. Practice it is what I'm saying. Practice committing yourself to the Lord. Take the little things, not just, you say, I got this big thing. Well, practice it in the little things. You say, can I really change a tire to the glory of the Lord? That'd be a lot better than cussing at the tire or the lug nut that won't come off, wouldn't it? You say, can I really do the most mundane? Can I clean the house and commit that work to the glory of the Lord? I guarantee you if you do that and commit it to the glory of the Lord, it'll pass off quicker and you'll have a better time. And you'll make your parents happy too, young youngsters. <laughs> See, practice it. Don't just, okay, well, here's this big deal. I don't know where to go to school. Or I don't know who to marry. Or I don't know if this person is the one. Or I don't know this or I don't know that. Those are big things. But practice it in the little things. Commit thy works unto the Lord. Now I've read some of the modern misinterpretations of this. Or the, some of the modern ways that they butcher the King James translation. I've read one that said, commit anything you do to the Lord and he'll establish it. 
Okay, so let's go rob a bank and we'll commit that to the Lord. And I get all that money because he said it, the, you know, the, the new modern perversion said that he would, he would establish it. That's not what it says. There's certain things that you can't commit to the Lord. You can't commit sin to the Lord. You can't commit fornication to the Lord. You can't commit lying to the Lord. You can't commit adultery to the Lord. You can't commit, just fill in the blank. There's so many things that you can't commit to the Lord. So identify what you can commit. You can commit your job to the Lord. You can commit the things that you do to the Lord. Last Wednesday, I knew that a tough day was coming. We had even some lives on the line in court. Once again, I was thinking, you know, well, I really planned bad. I'm going to be gone this whole weekend, you know, get back home on Monday. And then I got this huge, this huge thing going on on Wednesday, <laughs> several huge things. And so I was dreading that because I knew it was a big deal and I've got to be ready. I've got to be on my game. I've got to know what I'm saying and make sure I, I, do, I ask the right questions and do the right, because people's lives are at stake. And I wish I could tell you what it was all about, but it's in juvenile court and I have to be quiet about it. <laughs> and that terrible, you know, we finally had this great day and I can't even talk about it. <laughs> It was in juvenile court. It's all sealed. But this day was a, a dreadful day for me. And I kept coming back to this verse right here. Maybe that's why the Lord led me to that verse. I said, I'm just going to commit what I'm doing to the Lord. I'm just going to commit it. I'm going to do my job, and I'm going to commit it to the Lord. I'm going to commit it to Him. What I ask, what I say, Lord, lead me. You say, Brother Tim, can, can the Lord really even care about your dreadful day? Oh, I'm telling you, He cares about your dreadful day. I'm telling you, He cares about everything that goes on in your life. What you're watching on TV, how you're interacting with your coworkers, how you're speaking to your spouse. He cares about those things. And child of grace, questions will be answered when we commit our works to the Lord. And I'll tell you right now, it wasn't about a huge jury verdict and it wasn't about some great settlement or nothing like that. But I had one of the highest days of my life on Wednesday practicing law. The highest days that I can ever look back and say, well, that was a, t you know, what about this, this trial or what about this or that? Wednesday, which my, was my dreadful day, was one of the best days I've ever been through in my life. And I'll tell you one thing, I was tired that night and I slept good because I'd done a lot of preparation. But I did that preparation in expectation of the Lord establishing my thoughts because I committed it to Him. What is your issue? What is your problem? What is your question? What is your character flaw that you need to work on? Lord, help. I can't get over this. I can't get past this. I, I can't believe I did this. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts shall be established. He'll answer your question. Now, it might not be exactly what you thought it would be. The great reformer, John Wesley, was quoted as saying this in connection with this verse. If I had 300 men who feared nothing but God, hated nothing but sin, and were determined to know nothing among men except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I would set the world on fire. Well, when I thought about that, I'd love to have those 300 men too, but guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ was one man, and He set the world on fire. His commitment to His Father has set the world on fire. Now, sometimes committing your works to the Lord to establish your thoughts. Sometimes it can hurt. Joshua 5 and verse 9, I'll just give you a very quick synopsis of what's going on there in Joshua 5. This is where the children of Israel, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, have finally come to the point of entering the promised land. They're there. It's time to go in. But there's a little problem. Well, there were many problems, but there's one problem in particular. And this problem was that throughout those 40 years, 
They had not been observing the command of God in the wilderness. As they want, listen, they weren't on a long journey that would take them 40 years from Egypt to the promised land. You understand? They were just going around in circles and circles and circles. They were spinning their wheels, if you will. Because God had said, you didn't trust me, and you're, not going, you're, you're just going to spin your wheels until all of that generation dies out. And while they were in the wilderness, they were not observing the ordinance in the Old Testament it would be known as circumcision. But in the New Testament, it's what's taken the place of that is baptism. Okay? It was a symbol that we are set apart from the rest of the world. You know, God gave that to Abraham. And through all those years, they had not been doing that. So here they are, just on the precipice of going into the promised land. And the Lord says, I want you to observe that because you hadn't done it for 40 years. So they did, right here at this place. And they named the place a certain name because that's what they did there. They went back and they observed what they should have been doing for 40 years. They had not committed their works to the Lord, you see. And they just wandered around, spinning in circles, around and around, spinning their wheels, confused for all those 40 years. So then they did what God said already to do. (laughs) And their minds began to clear up. So the Lord said in Joshua 5 and 9, this day... Have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you? Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal until this day. It's a, that word Gilgal is a play on words. It means basically wheel, wheel. The Lord said, because you have done and committed your work to me that you should have been doing all these years, I'm rolling the reproach of Egypt away. This is the last vestige or the last thing that's got to hold on you from Egypt, which is where they came from 40 years before when the Lord delivered them. He says, I've rolled it away. That's the word commit. I've rolled it away. The image is God is rolling away the reproach of Egypt because they committed their works to the Lord. So how does that work for me, Brother Tim? There's a lot of very easy and simple ways that you can commit your work to the Lord. First of all, if you've never been baptized, that's a no-brainer right there. If you believe in the Lord and you love the Lord, get baptized. In the same way that the Lord said, the reproach of Egypt rolls off of you when they observe this ordinance there at Gilgal. It's a similar way. It's the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's for you, child of God. It's for the glory of God, but it's for your conscience so you can feel that your sins have been rolled away. But the sinner says, I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've said too much. I've I've taken myself to places I shouldn't go. The Lord rolls that reproach of Egypt away when you give the answer of a good conscience towards God. It's very simple. There's some simple things. Your prayer life. I've I've habitually prayed throughout my life, and I struggle so much in my prayer life. I get up, I get down, I get mostly down. (laughs) And I think, am I doing it right? Is the Lord hearing me? Is it making it through the ceiling? Am I just going through the motions? You know, I can't close my eyes when I forget to pray. I can't close my eyes going down the road because I wreck, you know, I'm driving. But I prayed driving. I prayed sitting still. I've even stopped my truck and prayed. I've forgotten to pray. I remember to pray. I feel zeal in prayer. I feel nothing in prayer. But I try to keep committing my work of prayer to the Lord. And my thoughts will be established. They shall. You see, that's a no-brainer. Just pray, child of God. Go to church. That's a no-brainer right there. Just go to church. You know that church is the kind of the first thing on the list for many of us that just goes. 
Well, I got to be at work at eight o'clock on Monday morning. But you know, if I'm too worn out or I got a, you know, a little headache on Sunday, I can always kind of, you know, I can always miss church. We ought to have the mentality that I can miss work, but I can't miss church. That ought to be the mentality because this is the high day of the Lord. This is the holy day of God. And some naysayer will say, well, Brother Tim, you're just saying that because you're the preacher. Yes, I am saying that because I'm the preacher. But I'm not just saying that because I'm the preacher. I believe that with all of my heart. It's a high and holy day for the Lord. And think about how God views that. Well, I'll make work on Monday morning. The headache's cleared up. Go on to church with your headache. You know what he may clear it up. I'll be honest with you. I've been, there's been times in 15, 20 years ago or Whenever I started preaching, I was having shoulder or back issues, you know, and I'd have to preach somewhere, and I couldn't get out of it. So I'd, you know, try to act like I was walking straight and get in there, and I'd go to preaching for a while, 30 minutes or more or whatever, and next thing you know, my pain was gone. Now, I'm not saying the Lord miraculously healed me, but I focused on committing my work to the Lord, and that stuff just kind of cleared itself out. But we got the opposite mentality of that, don't we? The Lord said... I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt because you committed your work to me. Child of grace, especially to the young folks, is your TikTok thinking for you? You know, it, it, there's an algorithm that works on that TikTok stuff that will think for you. It'll put your thoughts and twist your thoughts in your own mind. And not just TikTok, but other things that where it's, it's the deal where, you know, you go surfing for something that, that you need to buy on the internet, and the next thing you know, you start getting ads about those things. I mean, there's an algorithm out there that, that is going to manipulate your mind. And especially, we see the heart and souls of our young people in this nation. Their, their heart and souls are being stolen by Satan because TikTok or something like that is thinking for them. They say, well, I'm, I'm an independent thinker. No, if you're being influenced by that, you're thinking just like Satan wants you to think. Don't let your TikTok think for you. Let the Lord's thoughts be your thoughts. Let God's TikTok be what beats your heart and what carries your mind, you see? He said, this day have I rolled away. Galal, I've, Gilgal, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. It's a word play that means to roll away. And I tell you, child of grace, that whenever the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross and He was hanging there and they were scoffing at Him, He rolled away His burden to the Lord. He's verbalized it. He said, I commit my spirit to the Lord. I commend my spirit to the Lord. And He gave up the ghost and your sins died with Him there on that cross. And praise be to God, three days and three nights later, He comes forth from the grave and He is successful successful and joyful. Why? Because he committed his work to the Lord and his thoughts were established. Now look, here's the trick. Here's the trick. If you accept this challenge, it's going to whittle down what your dreams and desires are. I've told you before about my great dream killer, my father, you know, who would always have the knack to, I'd come with him some great idea that I had that was just kind of cuckoo, you know, and dad would say, well, now what about this? And what about that? And what about the other? And what, have you thought about the expense of this? And have you thought about, you know, three months down the road? And I'd just be like, ah, yeah, he got me again. Dream killer got me again. Well, listen, the Lord in many ways is a great dream killer. I'm glad he's killed some of my dreams. But here's the beauty of it. He's not just the dream killer. Whenever you see God's dream, when you see the vision of God, then you've got something greater than a dream killer. You've got a dream maker. It's a shift in what your desires are. It's a shift in what you want to be. It's a shift in what you thought to what God thinks. As you roll your plans upon him, and he rolls away the foolish ideas and thoughts 
thoughts that we, that we have from time to time. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Acts 26 and 9, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. If, the, if arguably the greatest of the apostles was going against the will of God, well, what happened to him? Oh, the Lord got a hold of him, and the Lord born him again, and then the Lord changed his mind, you see? And he committed his works to the Lord, and his thoughts were established. Listen, commitment is so important. You want whatever question you have answered, commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts shall be established. Y'all know that we're doing a renovation at our house, and we have isolated off two rooms, basically. That's, the contractor asked me when he came, he said, y'all going to move out? I said, no, we're not going to move out. <laughs> so we've got our bedroom and our basement. That's all we got. Well, the upstairs, we don't, just Tracy and I don't live upstairs. So we got our bedroom and the basement. That's kind of where we're living. We, we are protecting those doors because there's flies, there's bats, there's birds, and there's possums. And one particular night, I went and laid down. Sister Tracy had been asleep for about an hour and a half. Laid down, closed that door. It's nice and cozy in our bedroom, wall-to-wall furniture. And I heard a noise. And I thought, that doesn't sound right. There's a fan over there on this side. I thought, well, something's in the fan. So I leaned up and I thought, that's not in the fan. And I got my light and I turned it on. Sister Tracy's right there. She's asleep. And I flashed my light over there. Some of y'all heard the story. But there's a fat possum sitting on the lampstand drinking coffee out of mama's cup. (laughs) And I just kind of had to shake my head and go, what? (laughs) So then it occurred to me, two things. First of all, if Sister Tracy wakes up and sees this, it's going to be chaos. The possum will be chasing her around the room. She'll be chasing it. And they'll, I'll all be chasing both of them. And possums are nasty. You know, they, they eat dead things. They're nasty. So my first thought was, i got to get Sister Tracy to safety <laughs> from this possum. And so if there, there has never been a question about Sister Tracy's commitment to our marriage. Never been a question. But if there ever was, she ended it all that night. Because I looked at her and I said, about a voice about like this, I said, Tracy, I need you to wake up. Don't take your eyes off me. Crawl across the bed to my side. Go in the bathroom and close the door. And praise be to God, she didn't balk one bit. She climbed across the bed, got in the bathroom, closed the door, sat up on the counter because she knew a critter was in the, in the room. <laughs> and I proceeded, you know, the next issue was get the possum out without destroying everything and ruining everything. And I proceeded by the grace of God to get that possum out. And look, I did not kill him because I thought if the possum was that slick to get in that closed maximum security room, he needs to live on and he's a benefit to, you know, the animal kingdom. <laughs> so... But listen, listen, as we close, I know that's funny, but why did she do what I asked her to do? Well, first of all, she loves me, no doubt about that. She's proven that time and time again. But she trusts me. You hear me? When I presented that to her in the middle of the night out of a dead sleep, she trusts me. Why does God say to you, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts shall be established? Because if you trust Him... He will bring that to pass. It's about trust and it's about love. Let's commit our works to the Lord. It might be changing a tire. It might be trying to find a spouse. It might be wanting to know where to go to grad school or to school or what job to take. It might be cleaning your house or washing clothes. Commit your works to the Lord in those little things and in the big things that thought shall be established.